Right, it's my privilege to come and preach to us this morning, first one of the new year. Um, we're going to be basing ourselves this morning in a beautiful passage in the book of 1 Peter, um, which I just think is so relevant to us as we enter into, obviously, a new year, a new decade, and, you know, we hear about this a lot, but new, new years, the turning of a year, always marks a helpful moment in any of our psyche to look back over what happened and to look ahead to consider our hopes, our dreams, our fears for the coming year, uh, for the coming decade. Many people, if you saw on Facebook, doing the 10-year challenge from 2009 to 2019 to see how much they changed. Some people changed hardly at all. Others changed a bit more. And I'm not going to say who's who in which category. But the reality is for New Year, it brings a range of emotions, doesn't it? Some of you are like Carly. You're saying, I'm really excited about new possibilities this year and new things. Some of you are just saying, praise God for the, that last year's over and done with. Some of you had a rotten year last year and you're just like, oh, thank God that it's over and done with. Some of you, as you look ahead, you're anxious or you're fearful about what's to come. Or some of you think, well, this year just really represents a continuation from last year, be that good or otherwise. Actually, as you roll into a new year, you just think, well, it's pretty much the same as the end of last year, and that might be a good thing, or it might be um, a more challenging thing. So the reality is probably for each of us, we come into the new year with a range of emotions. Some things we're excited about, some things that we're fearful of, some things that are, we're fairly nonplussed about because they're just continuation of previous years. But what I want to do this morning through this passage in 1 Peter is I want to root us in gospel-saturated hope for this year. I want to root us that in gospel-saturated hope that will fuel us personally in our walks with Jesus, but also for us as a church. And we're going to be looking at this passage in 1 Peter. Peter is writing to a, a, a group of uh, Gentile, non-Jewish believers uh, in modern-day Turkey, and they're, they're facing suffering and hostility and persecution for their faith. Things are not easy for them. And Peter really writes to them to encourage them and to fuel them with hope. And I just really want to use this passage to talk about what is hope, what's the foundation of our hope, and how do we uh, use this passage to understand and have fuel hope for each one of us. And if you are a New Year's resolution person, this is my encouragement for a New Year's resolution for you. Set your hope fully on Jesus Christ. If you want a resolution that will stand the test of time, it's set your hope fully on Jesus Christ. Because he's the one that will never disappoint. He's the one that will never let you down. Don't set a New Year's resolution, oh, I must do better at Bible reading, although please do feel free to read the Bible more than last year. Set your hope on Jesus and watch how that fuels everything else in life. And what we're going to do is we're going to read this passage slowly and intentionally because the words of God are powerful and life-transforming. Do any words that I can bring to unpack this scripture pale into insignificance compared to the word of God, which is given to us for all time? And so I want to read 1 Peter, most of chapter 1, and I want to read it slowly and intentionally. Maybe you want to follow in your Bible. I'm reading from the ESV. It'll be on the screen. Maybe you just want to close your eyes. Maybe you just want to hold your hands out, whatever. But I just want you to hear the word of God and to be encouraged as we just unpack it a bit this morning. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles 
of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are all places in modern-day Turkey. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Do you know what? If you were if you were receiving this letter and you're facing persecution and life is tough, and you open this letter and it gets read aloud, and some of the first words are this: May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Or another translation says, May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. The Greek word that is being used here is actually where we get the word plethora from in English. It's like multitude, abundant. Could you imagine the encouragement that comes when the Apostle Paul writes this letter and he says to the churches, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Whatever is coming this year, whether it be summer or winter, storms or sunshine, celebration or sorrow, My prayer for us is this, that you may know grace and peace multiplied to you. The grace of God abundantly over you. His peace in fullest measure. Church, I say over us, may grace and peace be multiplied to us in the name of Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Joy that is inexpressible. That's the only place in the New Testament where that word is used, inexpressible. Unspeakable joy, is it talking about? Joy that is unspeakable. Joy that is inexpressible. And filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, and that includes us. In the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, 
preparing your minds for action. If you've got other translations, it might say girding up the loins of your mind. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. Just these last few verses, you'll see very strong echoes of Exodus language in there. Not with silver or gold, but the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb. We're actually going into a preaching series on Exodus. You'll see a lot of that language is fueled from Exodus. And even though Peter is writing to non-Jews, he's, he's showing that they are now part of the family of God. They've been grafted into the family of God. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look particularly at verses 3 to 5, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Before we consider these verses, we need to try and consider the difference between how we might use the word hope in everyday conversation in the English language and what the Bible means when it talks about hope. So we may say things like, I hope this year is better than last year. We may say, I hope that I get a promotion at work. We may say, I hope that my financial situation is better. We may say, I hope that I am healed or my health improves this year. We may say we hope for many things, but that hope is actually separated from certainty. We hope these things will happen, but we can't be certain that they will happen. And therein lies the key difference between hope that we talk about in everyday language and Christian hope or gospel-saturated hope is, the, is certainty. Because Christian hope is based on the certainty that what God has promised, he will do. The word that's actually being used in Greek, elpis, actually means a sure and certain expectation. So we're not just saying, I hope some things happen. We're saying we are sure and certain that these things will come to pass because God has promised them and God has spoken them into being. So we can say we're born again to a living, sure and certain expectation. Not a living hope that maybe one day I might go to be with God and I hope it, I'm not sure. No, the Bible says Christian hope is rooted in certainty. You can be sure and certain that the promises of God will come true because he's faithful and he's true to his words. And this gospel-saturated hope, this sure and certain expectation is birthed 
and rooted and founded upon some of the truths that Peter says here. Let's just look at some of them. According to his great mercy. If you want a foundation for your hope, according to his great mercy. Christian hope is rooted and founded in the mercy of God. That he reached down from heaven that he came in the person of Jesus Christ, that he hung on a wooden cross, that he displayed mercy, that he died and that he rose again to bring freedom, to bring ransom to our souls, to reconcile us back to God. According to his great mercy, if you want a foundation stone for Christian hope, it's this, his great mercy. Peter then goes on to say, he has caused us to be born again. So the second thing that our Christian hope is rooted in is his election. Do you know what? If you are a Christian here this morning, it was not your clever idea. It was the regenerating work of God through the Holy Spirit that caused your blind eyes to be opened and your deaf ears to hear the good news of Jesus Christ that caused you to respond to him. Yes, you put your faith in him, but it was initiated by God himself. It's his election. He has caused us to be born again. Therefore, my hope is not in my own skill. Therefore, my hope is not in my own merits. Therefore, my hope is not in whether I can do good enough. My hope is because he has called me and he has chosen me and he has elected me and he has caused me to be born again. According to his great mercy. And thirdly, Christian hope is resurrected in this. He has caused us to be born again. So his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How can we have hope? Ultimately, because of Jesus Christ rising from the dead on the first Easter, AD 33. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we would still be dead in our sin and our faith would be utterly futile. But praise be to God, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because he, who, he rose from the dead, all who are in him will also be raised from the dead to new, to new and eternal life with Jesus Christ at the center. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. We will not fear the present. We will not dread the future. For Christ is risen. If you want to know how our sure and certain expectation is rooted and birthed from, it's his great mercy. It's his election. It's his resurrection. Do you know it's all about him? It can't, our hope comes because of him. His mercy. His election. His resurrection. His calling into our lives. The inheritance that he has given to us. If you're looking for hope, you don't look within yourself. You look to the one who is the bringer of hope, the birther of hope, the founder of hope, the true and only hope. And this hope, which is rooted and birthed in these three things that I've talked about, is both present now, here, experience reality now, and it's eternal. You see, Christian hope is linked to the here and now. We're not only looking to the future. We have hope now. We have a sure and certain expectation, a sure and certain promise that for a Christian, you have been born again through Jesus Christ. That your sin has been paid for once and for all. That God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never disappoint you. That Jesus is enough and he's worth following with all of our lives right now. That is living hope that is birthed here and now, today. 
There is a present reality to the Christian hope that he has got you, that he is with you in the storms, that whatever life there is at you, the hope is, the sure and certain hope is that he is with you and he has got you and whatever life there is at you, he will walk with you in all things. There is a present reality to the Christian hope. And that is why we can rejoice with joy that is inexpressible now. That's why even in suffering and sorrow, we can rejoice with inexpressible joy because our hope is living and present now. But true Christian hope has to emphasize and be rooted in the future glory that is coming. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, if our hope is only for this life, we're to be more pitied than anybody else in the whole world. I were a laughingstock. True Christian hope is not based purely or solely or even mostly in the present. It's mostly rooted in the future kingdom and the coming glory that is going to be revealed at Jesus Christ's return. And so much of the New Testament letters that Peter and Paul write to the churches are to point them forward to the coming kingdom, are to point them forward to future glory. Part of their pastoral encouragement, part of how they encouraged the churches was through pointing to the future. To look ahead to eternity and the inheritance that God has promised for them. And when Victoria was praying earlier, and she was praying kind of this sense of like, God is with us now, and, and these things that we want, we're longing for in our lives of healing and financial changes in our situations and relational changes, we believe they are to come now. But ultimately, our hope is not in those things now. Our hope is in the inheritance that is going to come at the revealing of Jesus Christ. If your ultimate hope is based on the here and now, it is not Christian hope as we know it. It's not Christian hope as Peter and Paul would exhort the churches and how well we would do to remind each other of this. Our ultimate hope is not in healing from sickness now. Our ultimate hope is not doing better at work. Our ultimate hope isn't getting married, settling down and having a family. It's not financial security. It's not doing well in your exams. It's not popularity or a great network of friends. It's the inheritance that you have in Jesus Christ that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading that you will receive for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. That is where your ultimate hope can be rooted into. Yes, we believe that God wants to break in in the here and now. Yes, we believe he does and he, and, he, and he has the victory now. But the ultimate victory, the ultimate hope is the coming kingdom and the coming glory that is to be revealed at Jesus Christ. And if you want to know how to root yourself in gospel hope, you've got to look forward. You've got to look forward to the coming kingdom because that is where the inheritance that is being guarded for us will be received for all time. And when we face trials and suffering and persecution, Peter wants to say to us, look ahead. Look ahead. Keep looking forward. There's a coming kingdom and there's, a, there's, a, there's an inheritance for you and for you and for you until the revealing of Jesus Christ. True Christian hope cannot, only, cannot be rooted only in the here and now. It falls short of what Peter and Paul, and ultimately what God wants to say to us, he says, it, yes, it's experienced now. Yes, there's a sure uncertainty now. But ultimately, it's coming. It's coming. It's a coming kingdom. And that is what God's people needed to be reminded of in this passage. 
in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their trial, in the midst of persecution, what they needed to be reminded of was they don't necessarily need delivering from that. They need to look ahead at where the kingdom of God is going, to know they have an inheritance that is waiting for them. And the reality is, in the Western world, we tend to avoid the subject of death and eternity. We don't have a framework particularly to talk about it, other than funerals. But I believe the message of Peter in this book is, yes, hope is now, but come on, church, we need to look ahead. And as we're, as, as we're struggling in life, we need to remind one another of the, of the inheritance that God is winning, and God has won, and he's reserved for us. That's part of how we encourage each other in faith. That's part of how we exhort one another. That's part of how we say, no, come on, keep going. There's an inheritance waiting for you. And it's my, no, it's sure and certain expectation. And Peter then goes on to say, how does this hope actually affect life here and now? And I just want to pick up a couple of very quick things. He then goes on in verses 6 and 7, doesn't he, to talk about trials and suffering and difficulties. It immediately goes from this beautiful passage. We go, yes, hope, wonderful. And he says, oh yeah, but there will be trials and suffering and persecution now. There'll be difficulties. There'll be sorrow. There'll be challenges. And Peter wants his readers to know that those who are suffering can have hope beyond what they're experiencing right now. You see, in suffering, in persecution, in trials, in storms of life, hope is the anchor that will hold you steady. That's what the writer said, you steady in the midst of trial, in the midst of the storm. And Peter wants his readers to know that, that this hope he's just talked about is the thing that will carry them through in their suffering. And strangely, if you look at Romans 5, there's like a loop where Romans 5 talks about suffering producing hope, and sort of here hope produces suffering. So actually, it's really linked in that actually hope and suffering are so intertwined in Scripture that as we suffer, actually it produces hope, but actually hope helps us to persevere in the midst of suffering and sorrow. Hope helps us to look forward beyond the immediate suffering. That's verses 6 and 7. He talks about there will be trials. There will be challenges. But you need to go back to verses 3 and 5 and say, blessed be the Lord God. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance, to a present and future hope. And then he goes on to talk about that you have not seen him, you love him. And then this kind of slightly strange passage in verses 10 to 12, which is really about how the prophets were looking forward and the angels longed to look, and now we're the ones who've had it revealed to us. So the prophets, you know, these amazing prophets of old, Isaiah and those guys, they're, lo- they're looking forward, but we are now the recipients of all that they looked forward into. And the angels who are, you know, heavenly beings, actually they long to look and understand more deeply into the things of God. It's not an easy one to get your head around. But then towards the end of this passage, what Peter does is he links hope and holiness together. He says hope will fuel holy living. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. John Piper says it like this, confident desire in the truth and beauty of Christ is the fuel for being, being holy as God is holy. When we get hold of what Peter is saying here, according to his great mercy, that he's caused us to be born again, that he's risen from the dead, that he's given us an inheritance, that's the motivation and fuel for holy living in the Christian life. Hope actually fuels holiness. Hope fuels those who want to be consecrated and set apart for God. You see, the hope that we know we're going to obtain motivates us towards obtaining that. We're going to talk more a bit about next week about what I believe God wants to do with us this year, but he always wants to start in our hearts. He always wants to start by our hearts being consecrated and set apart for him. And what's really interesting in this passage here, and we're, we're, we're going to land in a moment, is that Peter here, he says, you shall be holy for I am holy. He's quoting Leviticus here. He's actually using the same Greek word to describe you, God's people, shall be holy as God is holy. Same Greek word, word hagios, which literally means different from or other. He could have used the word like katharos, which means morally pure or morally clean, but he uses the word you shall be hagios, you shall be different, you shall be set apart as God is different and set apart. Yes, that includes moral purity and, and, and staying away from sin, but it includes so much more than that. It includes a life that is set apart and, and consecrated and dedicated to God. And so unlike the, the patterns of this world, because we're serving a God who is so unlike this world. There's not, this is not just a call to say, oh, don't, don't sin, don't do A, B, and C. That's part of Hagios. But Hagios is actually this broad understanding of being consecrated and set apart and given your whole lives to God. It means being all in for Jesus because he's all in for you. The reality is we don't know what's going to happen this year. None of us do. We don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years. I said to Sarah, in 10 years' time, we'll have an 18-year-old daughter. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'll be, certainly be a lot greyer by then. I don't know what the next 10 years is going to bring, but one thing is sure and certain According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Therefore, set your hope fully on him. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never let you down. He will never disappoint you. He has forgiven you past, present, and future. He, he, that hope will motivate you and help you to persevere in the storms of life. That hope will fuel holy living, that are lives that are dedicated and consecrated to him. Set your hope on Jesus. How do you do that? Root yourself in the word, be empowered by the spirit, and get into this church. Because we need one another. We need the word of God, we need the empowerment of the spirit, and we need one another. If we're going to set our hope on the things of God and set our hope fully on Jesus. Can I just invite the band to come up? We're all, what we're going to do now is we're going to, we're going to sing uh, a song. Nehemiah, you good? Is it, just, is it just you? The rest of the band come up as well.
We're going to sing a song now um, which is called Nothing Else, and it really talks about setting our whole lives and our whole beings around Jesus and saying he's the one that is enough. And we're going to sing that, and we're just going to use that. I want, to, I want us just to, to use this song. It's a new one, so you might not know it, but that's fine. Really just to reflect and say, God, I want to set my all for you. I want to be all in for you this year. I want to set my hope fully on you. Nicky Gumbel says this, it's all about Jesus. The safest place to be in life is close to Jesus. Can I just invite you, if you're comfortable and able to stand? So we're going we're to sing this song together, and then we're going to share in the bread and the wine. We're going to share in this meal that Jesus left for us as this beautiful picture and representation of the gospel of what he's done for us and of the coming kingdom and of the sure and certain hope that we have in him. Let's worship. Let's enjoy. Just as, as, as Nehemiah leads us in this song, just be responding to God this morning to say, God, I want to set everything onto you this year. I want to set my hope fully onto you. Nothing else matters. Nothing else will do. It's you that I'm gazing upon. It's you that I'm setting my heart upon. And then we'll share in the bread and wine together as well, church.